the people want to be a part of your struggle and they want to hear your story and they want to know how they can help. And I think that it's incumbent upon us to share our problems and share our struggle, share what we're doing presently to work through it and be open to other suggestions on other ways of getting things done. Hey there, friends. Welcome to Happiness Squad. This is the podcast dedicated to helping you unlock your full potential by mastering the art and science of happiness. We bring on the best leading experts on these topics to help you unlock your true potential and live with more joy, health, love, and meaning in your life. Your host is no other than the star combo of Ashish Katari and Anil Ramjiani, who are both on a mission to provide you with an unfair advantage to be the masters of your experience and leaders in your industry. Get ready to be moved, challenged, and enlightened on this podcast. It may change your life. Thanks for being here and joining the squad. Hey, Happiness Squad. It's great to have you with Ashish and I as we host guests who are industry leaders helping individuals and organizations unlock their inner happiness and flourishing. Life is a series of building blocks. What is unknown is how those blocks will emerge and the lessons they will unlock as we journey through life and experience setbacks that may be even traumatic. How do you heal and come back from that? Our next guest opens up and shares her powerful stories with us. Meet Teresa Carpenter, an active duty Navy commander where she has served for the past 27 years. She taps into her love of storytelling through the visual medium and shares her life journey online in raw, vulnerable, and always honest format. She is a writer and a podcaster for SOS, Stories of Service. She launched this in April 2020 and has over 100 episodes featuring ordinary people from all walks of life who show up in service to their respective communities. She currently lives in the United Kingdom and serves as the Chief Public Affairs Officer for NATO's Allied Maritime Command. During this heartfelt and insightful episode, we delved into a few specific areas with Teresa that included challenges that she faced constantly fighting the stigma of emotional and mental well-being, as well as the opportunity for help as a powerful ingredient used by the greats to unlock their traumatic healing, and so much more. You may see parallels between your life and the stories and reflections that we share. Are you ready? Let's get started. Please join Ashish and I as we welcome Teresa to the Happiness Squad and Hardwire for Happiness together. Hi, Teresa. It's a pleasure to have you. Hey, Ashish. How are you both doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. It's such an honor to be here, and thank you for having me. Well, lovely to see you. We have to debrief later on your amazing trip to Italy. And Teresa, <laughs> such, such, such a planner. The, the pleasure is just ours to be able to have a conversation with you and to share all the amazing things that you're doing to make our world a kinder, more authentic place where people can show up and voice and find company. Thank you. Um, and grow together. I really appreciate that. And it's it's definitely an honor to be able to have built the audience that I've built over the years and to get to this place because I wasn't always as confident in sharing my story the way that I do now. But like anything, you just, you keep at it and you do it over and over and over again. And then it just builds into, into where we are today. So thank you so much. 
Yeah, no. So let's start with uh, Teresa a little bit of, as you said, you've evolved so much, you know, over over the years. We all do. And one of the things that changes is even how we think about happiness or flourishing. Mm-hmm. So we always love to start with this question of, you know, what is happiness to you? And how has that definition changed for you from your younger years? So I think when I was younger, happiness meant a lot more of the material things that I was chasing. So I was chasing getting a partner. I was chasing promoting through my job. I was chasing becoming financially stable. And then as I got older, being happy meant more of a feeling of contentment. So I went from thinking, oh my gosh, I have to have the next thing in order to be happy, to things are just fine the way they are. And that was a real shift in in my thinking. It's not to say that things can't get better or that there's things to work on, but if things stay the way they are, I'm still going to be happy. And when I was able to really embrace that mindset, I felt like everything just fell into place after that. Yeah. You know, I love that, what you're saying. And it's so in sync, you know, Teresa, is the work that we're doing at Happy Squad. We're actually launching our new a new website in the next day or two. And one of the things that we're highlighting is, and it's these learnings, you know, people learn at different times. And I wish I had learned this earlier, just like you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I only learned this when I was 42, right? Versus 43 versus much earlier, which is, you know, happiness is not an end to be pursued through, you know, career, success, promotions, money, right. control, fame, all of these things that we learn at an early age, if we, you know, if we get that, then happiness is the end and we want to be happy. But instead, happiness can be the means to pursue any end you want. And things get easier. In fact, I loved, uh, you know, Laurie Santos, Professor Laurie Santos, who does a lot of work on happiness, you know, actually made a call to say, hey, listen, we should actually change the word happiness, the science of happiness to actually the science of human performance, because that's really what we are talking about here. And oftentimes people confuse happiness with an emotion. It's that momentary high that I get when something goes well, versus, you know, when we are happier, the science is clear, we are at our best. We are more successful. We are more resilient. We are healthier. We are more creative. We are more connected. You know, all of the things become easier to achieve. They do. If we can actually just be happier. And it's a choice, right? And it starts with content and we can stop fighting. Right. Stop stop hustling, I think, is what I, I learned is that when I learned how to say no and, and, and had some boundaries and, and just was just brutally honest, not, not to the point where I ever hurt people or, or any of those things, but just it was was so succinct in, in what it was that myself or my team needed in, in order to thrive. I, I found that I was a lot happier. And I also stopped putting unrealistic expectations on myself and my teams. I think that I put a lot of pressure, un, unnecessary pressure on, on myself to, to be at a certain level because we, it, when you play that comparison game, you always lose. And so don't compare 
I, I think is the it's the keeping up with the Joneses almost. Yeah, there, there's nobody you got to keep up with. Just try to do your best to incrementally push the you know push the can down the road a little bit each day. And even on days that you don't, and all you do is sit around and watch Netflix. Well, hey, maybe you needed that day to sit around and watch Netflix. So yes. <laughs> so I, I think that's that's been my key to to happiness is just having that that grace with myself and then going okay it's time to stop you know being per- not being productive and and now <laughs> you know you got to kind of give yourself a little bit of a kick in the ass because you know that when you do those things you're going to feel better because you've accomplished something and so sometimes it just starts with finding those little baby steps like the make your bed analogy like I'll do that at work. I'll go throw away some cardboard in my office because it's. I did that this morning. I started the day with tearing apart the cardboard that was sitting with some mailboxes, uh, you know, some stuff I got in the mail. And I was like, well, that's you know, I started with something small that was productive, and it kind of led to other things that were productive. It's it's almost interesting how we almost like try to associate you know productivity with happiness like so the more productive i am the happier i'll be or the more i fill x you know the happier i'll be and it's almost this back to your point ashish it's like you know i'm i'm chasing it you know and it's like you know when you chase something it, you know you never feel content you never, you never get feel it. fulfilled mm-hmm. because you're on that treadmill that we talked about right? you're constantly climbing constantly going and i what i find you know really interesting about your story teresa is you know you've you've been through a lot and I know that, you know, some people like to fill the void, some people, you know, that emptiness they that they have, that loneliness they have, that anxiety that they have. But you've you've had a very traumatic, very checkered past, you know. And I I when I read about you and got to know you better, I was inspired by kind of the work that you're doing now. And so what I'd love to do is for our listeners to get to know you a bit better, you know, if you could share a story from your background that maybe just helps us understand a bit more about what encouraged you to open up? You know, how did you leverage, you know, one of those lessons, you know, that basically helped you form your current mission to inspire and help others, you know, on their path? Like what, what was it that moved you? What was it that shifted you? Just help us get to know you a bit better on that front. Well, I think that as I was growing up, I sort of had these moments of, um, I would say despair or moments where my life just kind of kicked my ass. And if I hadn't had those those growing points, I mean, I, I grew up in a home, um, you know, middle class environment. It was, you know, I never never went hungry, but I, I definitely didn't feel that I got the, the the love and support that I needed from one of my caregivers. Um, she she was she was not emotionally available, and unfortunately, I think that set me on a path of of resentment and anger for a lot of years because there was something I needed to have from that person that unfortunately she just couldn't give. And and so that dynamic and that unhealthy environment where I I didn't feel welcome sort of set me on this path where things were very difficult for me. But a lot of that was self-induced because I had so much anxiety about performance and I had so much anxiety about being perfect and about failure, fearing failure. Uh, So I, I think that what helped me gradually. And like I say, I I think your life journey is not this like pivotal moment and shift where you just suddenly change. It's these small little building blocks, you know, starting with my nervous breakdown at the age of 20. And then once the nervous breakdown happened, 
I would say like the next pivotal moment was having to fight my way to become an officer uh, and explain and re-traumatize myself by having to go through this whole incident again to become an officer because they wouldn't want me to be an officer if I had, you know, these psychological problems. And so that put me on a path of feeling stigmatized about my, my mental health. And so I never would talk to anybody. I, I threw away all my medical records about my psychotic episode. And, and so then I think my next pivotal moment was throughout my journey as a junior officer, I kept trying to get qualified for things and it was always very difficult. And I always felt like, well, if these other people can become the battle watch captain, then I can become the battle watch captain. If right. these other people can be the command duty officer on an aircraft carrier uh, while it's at port, in port, I should be able to do that. And I would get some sorts of pushback. Either I wasn't the personality type that typically, you know, shuts up in colors and, and people could sense that, or I was somebody that they just couldn't really categorize or put in a box in a certain way. And so I, I, I was, and I was a public affairs officer. I wasn't an operator. Uh, so in the, in the military, we have the, you know, the people who are actually running the things on the ship. And then we have people like myself who are advisors. Um, but then they gave the opportunity for another advisor to become a command duty officer, our, our lawyer. And I'm like, well, why can't the PAO be a command duty officer? And so I always kind of had that sense of, of right and wrong and, and sense of, well, what, what is fair for all, for, for everyone should be fair for all, as long as you meet the, the standards and you, meet, and you meet what is required for that particular assignment. So I think that to, to long answer to your question is it, it wasn't, I can't really pinpoint one story to say it was this one thing that happened that got me to open up. Rather, it was sort of these crucibles that, that would happen over and over and over again. And I'm probably still got crucibles in my future. <laughs> yes, we are constantly growing and evolving. There is no one moment, right? We, unf we, we unfurl. It's always, I think about, you know, there is our beautiful soul and then we cover it up like layers of an onion each event of a time. And as we turn inwards, you have to go layer by layer by layer, right? To find your core essence, to find your core soul, uh, to normalize, to integrate. Mm -hmm. You know, our past that resulted in those armors we put up, we need to integrate it. We don't need to demonize it. Uh, we need to integrate it. We need to take the learning from it. They're there for a reason. But we need to actually use that to say, why did that happen? And what can I do with it? What meaning can I make? And Teresa, I have loved the meaning that you've made with it, which is you said, listen, I want to inspire others to open up. I want them to tell their stories. Yes. Because it's so important, you know, it's, it's so important to do that. And we were in the conversation we were having before the podcast, you know, I was sharing, I'm like, what I, I, what I love about what you're doing is, you know, one, you're talking about, you know, help making normalizing conversation around mental health, because there is such a stigma. There is. There's a stigma with this in the armed forces. There's a stigma in business there. And there's a stigma everywhere. There's, you know, oh, if I say I have, you know, if I'm struggling mentally, it's somehow you become a pariah or, 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 or somebody that needs pity. You know, you don't. Second is many people who struggle with it don't realize how prevalent and how common it is. No, no. And everybody, I think, goes through life with mental health issues. They might not call it that, but they have 
problems and things that they need to talk to someone about. And I think that whether you have a friend or a family member or you go see a professional, to me, it's all the same. And it's interesting to me as I've gone down this journey, like anxiety is normal. It sort of baffles me that we have these labels for things like anxiety and ADD, because to me, those are just symptoms of a deeper issue. I feel the same way about depression. And, and I think that until we kind of get our arms around the fact that these are more than just labels and pills, there, there's something that, in my view anyway, that I think needs to be processed and needs to be looked at and examined and explored. And if you don't take the time to do that, whether you do it with a friend, whether you do it with your journal, whether you do it through some sort of healing mechanism, all you're going to do, and as my therapist says, is you're going to keep playing this game with a different partner. Like you're, you're just going to be in this dance somewhere else. And I can, I can so attest to that because when, when I had my bad dynamic with my caregiver, I repeated that dynamic over and over and over again with different people. And, and I just, I just danced with a different partner, but I was still playing the game. Absolutely. You know, it was funny. I was sharing with somebody and like, for me, I've had a very similar, you know, uh, journey, Teresa, in terms of you know, I was suffering from anxiety. I was actually suffering from extreme anxiety, even though I didn't have, you know, any so-called traumas growing up. There was nothing about the future that was troubling me. You know, you have to have something to be anxious about, right? Like <laughs> relationships, work, money, health, everything was green, right? Like every dial was green. And I was waking up every morning feeling like I needed to throw up hmm. every morning, right? And thank God, I basically was bullheaded enough to not take the <laughs> advice of every well-meaning colleague and friend. One said, you know, you're, this is very common in these high senior roles. Just, just take some Zoloft. Just take some, take some, take the edge off, right? Take the edge off, right? Take, take a pill. And somebody else said, you know, you just go see a therapist. And they'll help you. But you know, what you talked about was everybody needs to process it. We need to go inward, truly go on a journey inwards. So I decided to go inwards. And I think that's what put me on the path that, uh, that, I'm, that I'm on now, right? Towards the work, towards the work that I'm doing. Ashish, can I, can I just, can I compliment that? Just, just for a moment, just want to compliment that before we uh, go to the next question for Teresa. I, you know, so my mom has, um, is manic depressive, you know, and for the last 30, 40 plus years, she's been in and out of, you know, mental health institutions. And, you know, I always thought growing up, my sister and I, that, you know, okay, this is genetic. We're going to suffer from this too. Something like that might happen to us too. And there were times when I would either feel depressed or I would feel off my game and I would always initially think, ah, you know, this is pre-Google days, you know, okay, this is my form of depression. This is my form of, and I didn't actually ask anyone or ask for help. And thankfully my sister would, you know, check in on me and go, hey, how are you doing? And I would say I'm, I'm baseline versus, okay, I'm actually depleted and negative versus, hey, I'm not feeling good and I'm positive. And I think just, I want to just emphasize the point that both of you have made there. That is, you know, this is an opportunity for folks and we're not mental health experts. I'm not. But I think it's important for folks to at least just con contemplate reaching out and trying to understand and asking for help and, and making sure. And I know we're going to come to that shortly, but that was something that helped me. 
And I am hand over heart. I'm not, I've not been on any medication or anything, but I do feel you both are right that it, despite all the technology we have, I don't think people can fully understand and appreciate what this can mean and what this can do to a man or a woman. Um, so I just wanted to highlight that and, and share that. But uh, Ashish, back back to you, mate, uh, and, and the question for Teresa. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, why is it, Teresa, that it is so important to inspire people to tell their stories and not keep it inside? Because I think that that helps you process it and make sense of it. So a lot of times the stories that we tell ourselves are not necessarily the true stories. As I am digging into my past and doing EMDR and exploring things that occurred to me growing up, some of the stories that I told myself, um, I thought were things that were wrong with me. And as my therapist always says, he says, we're exploring not what is wrong with you, but what happened to you. And I never really looked at the full picture of the different things that were going on and why I was acting the way I was. And to have that explanation and to have that new understanding of the ways in which a child responds to trauma and things that are outside of their control, it helped me so much to understand why in future relationships, the same dynamics were playing out. And so when I tell my story and I share these insights, let's say I share it on a blog or I share it online, it's so affirming because then someone else will say, yes, that also happened to me. I had that same perspective. Or you're also helping somebody else know that they're not alone, that this, that this thing that they're dealing with is, is universal. And it takes away the shame. It takes away the stigma. And we all sort of baseline together and say, okay, this is something we all deal with. I'm very open about the fact that I go to therapy every Wednesday at four o'clock in London. And, and I don't hide that from my leadership. I don't hide that from my people. I want them to know that this is what I'm doing and that this is something I need for my mental health. And if it means working a little late after work and you, you know, living by this work phone, I, I, I'll do that. I'll do what it takes to still meet the mission. But every single opportunity I can get to make that appointment, I'm going to do so. Because I also realized that the national healthcare system in the UK is, is also very, very good. And I'm taking advantage of a time where I can be seen and not turned away. People in the United States are getting turned away and sent to social workers instead of nothing wrong with social workers, but they can't diagnose mental health treatments and especially things like complex trauma. And so by me sharing that, saying, hey, you may want to get a diagnosis from a psychiatrist while you're still serving, because if you still have these issues post-military and you don't put in a Veterans of Affairs claim, you may not get continued care for this issue. That is an important message. And so I hope by sharing my story, others will understand that this is the process or this is how it helped me. You know, the, so much that resonates with me on that front. I mean, by the way, you know, I lived in London for for uh, a couple of years, and I do agree it, it's easier to access that kind of care and that therapy. And ironically, I nearly reached out to folks in the U.S. for support and help. And I think again, it goes back to when you're in a foreign country and you don't know what you need to do, let alone in your home country. How do you reach out and find the right form of help, the right therapist? 
And uh, I actually doubted finding the right person in London while I was living there. And so I reached out to my sister in the US to help me find someone in the US. So I think, you know, what, what I feel that you're saying, uh, Teresa, is it's, it's, uh, it's being unapologetic about seeking therapy and the benefits of therapy. And what I really admired about what you just said there too is you're almost ring fencing that time and that space for you because you know you need it. And when you get it, you're at your best. You're able to unlock what you need to within yourself to do your mission, whether it's for yourself or for others. And I, and I admire your honesty too and your openness about it, your vulnerability to it, because some people, again, think it's a sig- stigma to say, hey, I'm, I'm seeking therapy. It's like, oh, people might need to put you at an arm's length. And I think it's not that case. It's actually the opposite. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm opening up, pull me forward. Don't push right. me away. And, uh, you know, it, 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 go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that it's, I do not understand now looking back why there's such a stigma on something like this. Like th- it should just be the exact opposite because you, you notice that once you've received this kind of care, if you get the right therapist and you get the, the right help and you trust this person, your relationships with others be- just gets exponentially better. And so that's what I'm experiencing through this process. And I've only been on this journey with this therapist for about maybe five months, but it's very consistent. And as I'm doing it, I'm seeing that I'm getting over certain dynamics and I'm rising above certain dances that I used to engage in. Yes. And and, and all of a sudden the dynamics between me and certain people have changed. And that's been it's it's been kind of groundbreaking, and and no, so I know I've turned a corner uh, on this one particular issue, and and the ways in which I used to um, toxically, you know, in a toxic way, interact with certain people, and and so now I I, I say to myself, gosh, well, you know, what what could have happened if I had gotten this years ago? But the quite frankly, I just wasn't ready. That wasn't the crucible that I was supposed to have in my thirties or in my twenties. There were other crucibles that I was going through during that time, but that wasn't the, the, as, as Scott Mann says on my last show, the tap on the shoulder, that wasn't the tap on the shoulder uh, at my moment. Then, uh, this is my tap now. Investing in your happiness can profoundly impact your life especially in today's stressful world. Research shows that happiness practices offer significant benefits, making it a wise investment for your future. But we're not taught to build lasting habits that can enable us to be happier. Are you ready to invest in your happiness? Then listen up. We've created the Integrated Happiness Program. Learn simple micro practices and integrate the nine hardwired for happiness practices into your life. Gain access to resources like the Digital Happiness Masterclass, daily happiness nudges, live monthly sessions led by experts within a supportive community of like-minded individuals. The Integrated Happiness Program reflects our promise. For less than a dollar and a few minutes a day, form simple neuroscience-based habits to unlock success, health, resilience, satisfaction, and creativity in your life. Achieve more, not by doing more, but by being more. Visit community.happinessquad.com for details and choose the right plan for you. This is backed by our 30-day risk-free trial guarantee. Again, the link is community.happinessquad.com. Let's rewire for happiness together. Now, back to the show. Yeah. 
you know, and it's a very interesting place we are in. You know, I've been I've been seeing how our collective relationship and our understanding even of well-being, you know, is is evolving. You know, if I go in the, you know, if I go all the way from the, you know, 50s and 60s and the things that, you know, what we knew about cigarettes. And I still remember some of the, you know, commercials with like, you know, doctors with cigarettes operate, you know what I mean? Uh, and then we realized, you know, we're learning so much. I think and if I think about well-being for a lot of people, I think part of the reason we are at such a big crisis around mental health is people think about well-being as physical, as body. And we all know mind and body are fundamentally connected. You know, we had a, a one of our very early podcasts was with uh, a senior partner at McKinsey, and he's a Vipassana. He's a, you know, I would say he is a hardcore believer in the Vipassana meditation. And he, you know, he encouraged and he actually challenged just uh, Anil for example, to say, hey, how much time do you spend taking care of your body? How often do you exercise? And, you know, Anil's a triathlete and uh, me not so much. I just ran my first 5K <laughs> last week. But, you know, Bravo. one step at a time. Uh, but he said to him, like, listen, you know, if you went spend 45, 50 minutes a day on your physical health, how much time are you spending on your mental health? Mm. Are so you meditating? True. So true. Mm -hmm. Are you being mindful? You know, are you focusing on things that are positive versus the negativity bias that our brain has, which is always looking for what's going to get me? Oh, yes. It's a reset that you have to constantly fight. I agree. I love the way you said that. that and so if you're not doing that, how will your mental health be at the same level as your physical health, right? Like it, it will never be and it directly affects it. Mm. It does. It does. And and you have to have both. I mean, I force myself most days to get out there and do the 10,000 steps. I, you know, I do my best. I have a little flo a floor calisthenic workout that I do as much as I can. And and you have to to have both, especially as I age, I, I feel this need to continue to make sure that my, my body is fit. My mind is sharp because I, I want to live as long and as healthy as I can while I still have this time left. Quality of life. Yeah, my quality of life. No, and, and Ashish and I, we talked about this, I think it was a couple of weeks ago on a previous podcast, which is, again, it's, you know, movement is not just going for a 30, 60 minute workout. It's actually incorporating movement throughout your day. It's not just about, you know, doing weight, you know, lifting weights. It's about finding that moment to calm and to actually take those deep breaths. And it's, it's ironic because, again, we always use the old adage, like, I, I don't have the time. Right? I've got either time for A or B. I can't do both without realizing that it's A plus B that actually gives you the, the satisfaction, the support you need. And I think we almost get locked into a bit of a path of, yeah, but you know, that 30 minutes is enough. Well, okay, that 30 minutes is enough, but are you up for that kind of, let's say, hours or days of pain that you might struggle with or feel that stress or anxiety that just almost clouds you and, and actually takes you back steps as opposed to moving you forward? Uh, so that's why I, I do agree. It's it's a matter of how do we educate our peers to not only understand the importance of the body, but the mind and the spirit. And and I do want to ask a question on the back of that, and we alluded to it earlier, which is around asking for help. And you know, something you've mentioned in your blogs, uh, I love it, Teresa Tapestries, right? It's 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 amazing. You said that that's something that's really defined and separated the greats is they ask for help. And I, I mean, I'm someone who, and I'll say it hand over heart. I've not, I've not had therapy yet. I've, and actually my coach, my last two coaches have said, we're not therapists. So don't seek out therapy from us. 
if I can go back in time, I would ask my father, hey, if there's one thing you could please do is could you please go get a therapist and seek therapy? And I just wanted to kind of on the back of that, like what has empowered you, inspired you around that concept of just ask for help? I think that it's understanding that balance between when you need help versus I need to do it on my own. And I think that we tend to sometimes live in a a world of extremes where you've got the people on the right-hand side that say, um, you you need to just go out there and do it. You need to just make it happen for yourself. You need to figure it out. You need to empower yourself to, to do it. And then there's that other side of, oh, well, you, there's always somebody that'll help. There's always, well, guess what? Sometimes there isn't always somebody that will help. So you, sometimes there is. And, and I think that it's, it's one of those things where for me, when I'm completely depleted and I know that I need help, I know that there are people that I can count on who have been able to count on me. And I think that's also part of seeking help is that if you are a person that needs help, always be a person that is available for someone else to ask for help. So I try to be very mindful of of that pendulum as well. And that's to me a part of having healthy relationships. And so one of the nice parts I think about therapy is that you don't owe the therapist anything, especially if your health insurance covers it. So for me, it's, it's like I can spend an hour just getting help, uh, that I don't have to pay back. And I, I do feel like there is that healthy give and take when, when you have a mentor or whatever, you have to balance how much you ask of others versus how much you figure out on your own. And so I I think once you can kind of learn how to thread that needle, then asking for help becomes a lot easier because Because you've you've sort of empowered yourself to say, nobody's coming. We're going to figure it out. Like I joke with my team all the time. We're short-staffed. And I say, no one's coming. We're going to figure it out. And I'm empowering them to find solutions and to think outside the box and to come up with creative ways to get things done. Because ultimately, our bosses aren't going to stop asking for stuff. So we've got to figure out different ways to answer the call because we don't have the people to do what we used to be able to do. Yeah. And the world has changed, you know, it's gotten so much more complex. And I think in our work, you know, Teresa, that Anil and I do, uh, a lot of the work we is we we literally have to normalize and rewire leaders' mindsets and beliefs about what makes them a leader. You know, today in the highly volatile, uncertain, complex world in which we are living, if you pretend like you have all the answers and not ask for help from your team and from your colleagues, I can guarantee you will fail. You will. Absolutely. You will fail. You will fail and it will come at a high cost personally and to all of those others around you, right, that you care. Because life is messy. It is a lot more complex than it has ever been. And so this, by the way, is relates to just as much about, you know, mental health struggles, but like there is so much even outside of mental health. There are things that need to be spoken about and things where we need to reach out for help. Teresa, what in your mind, as you've kind of, you know, coached junior officers, coached colleagues, what are some of the biggest hurdles that you find that make people not share their struggles 
with the messy depths of life, right? Things they're trying to get done and they're not, they just don't ask for help. You know, they don't ask. They feel I think they're scared. Yeah. They're scared of being vulnerable. They're scared of looking weak and they're, they're scared of what people will think of them if they are authentically themselves, which is really sad. So, so they don't ask for help or they don't bring up problems because they think that nobody is going to care if they have problems. But what I have found is that when you speak openly about problems, people want to be a part of the solution. There's always somebody in the room that maybe knows a different way to look at the issue and has a different mindset. Like the other day I had a chief of staff meeting, I'm filling in for my boss. And the first thing I that came out of my mouth was, well, our graphic designer quit on Friday. So we'll be sending everybody over to base graphics. And, and I really put that out there to not say that we won't facilitate or help them um, work with base graphics, but I want to set the table that, hey, I'm going to need help because I can't just spit out a new graphic designer um, this onboarding <laughs> and all these things take like a year. Um, so guess what? I'm going to have a guy who isn't trained even to do video, but our videographer He's going to have to take over and just use te- existing templates on Adobe InDesign. That's what he's going to do. And, and I'm just blunt with that. And people appreciate that. They laugh. And I, and I say it in a joking around way. I, I try not to, I try to, you know, make light of it and not make, take it too seriously. But then people feel like, oh gosh, we're now part of her struggle. And then they feel a little bit of a kinship with you because they see that you're trying the best you can with what you have. And so that's what I have found. You have to know who you can trust. I mean, not, there are some shady shysters on every staff. And you yes. got to know who those are. And you got to be careful what you say to those people. But with the right people, and most people, I don't think most people are shady shysters. I think they're a very small percentage. But the people want to be a part of your struggle. And they want to hear your story. And they want to know how they can help. And I think that it's incumbent upon us to share our problems and share our struggle, share what we're doing presently to work through it, and be open to other suggestions on other ways of getting things done. Yeah. You know, be vulnerable, call out problems that are, right, to your point. I think it's one of the biggest drivers that leaders can do to set an environment of psychological safety. Don't show up as perfect and everything under control, because guess what? Everybody else will feel they need to kind of live up to that for you. Right. And I think that that's also one of the things too, that I see in a lot of staffs is that we've got this pressure to, to be present at work all the time, even though like 99% of what I do as a PAO can be done anywhere. This very much this pressure to constantly be on, but people really want authenticity and they want you to be yourself. And if you make a mistake, just own it and move on, explain how you'll do it better next time. And I, and I just think that when you learn how to be yourself and you are confident in who you are, the world just opens up. And I think that's one of the biggest lessons I've, I've learned my entire life, to be honest. Do you know, I, there, there are a couple of thoughts that come to mind from, from, let's say, a few different spaces, right? So my sister's in the medical space. And uh, I know that when she's had conversations with peers, you know, they've been asked, you know, she's been asked, hey, how are you doing today? And, you know, she's quite candid, you know, she's an open book. 
And, you know, she's noticed that there were several times where individuals that she'd speak to and open up to would actually turn around and almost share that with others. And it's like, oh, hang on a second, you know, and that, that can shut a door. And I think that, you know, it's just, you know, it's a tip for listeners out there. And it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's an invitation. If someone's going to open up to you, and Ashish, ironically, I feel like we've talked about this before, funny enough, if someone's opening up to you and sharing with you how they're feeling and they're being vulnerable, they're not going to control the outcome. You know, it's almost that invitation to to re- respect that request and almost how you support them. I, you know, I find on the business side in corporate that we sometimes aren't given the time to say, "Hey, I've made a mistake," or "Hey, you know, I'm not operating at my best." You know, more recently, I would say I am able to, whether it's Ashish to you or it's it's to to my wife or to my peers. I'm like, you know, hey, just not in a good space right now. There's something else that's on my mind, but. Uh, you know, let me come back. And I think it's just giving ourselves space. And sometimes we don't do that. We almost feel like if I don't keep up, if I don't keep the pace I'm used to, I'm not going to get ahead. Not realizing that that space is actually what helps you get ahead. Otherwise, you end up falling back. And I, and I do, it's an invitation again to our listeners that, hey, if you find yourself in a situation where you feel like life's messy, you feel like you're not able to kind of keep things in check, open up. And if it's, if you're opened up to, you know, Hey, respect that, you know, encourage that, support that, because I think that's the type of trust. That's the type of network we need to start to build around ourselves. Otherwise I do feel like, you know, we're just going to make things, things are only going to get messier, if you will. Yeah. And actually do. I mean, I love, you know, I'm going to tie Teresa a couple of things you said earlier to this, right? Create the space. Don't beat yourself up. If you need a Netflix day, right? Where you just need to kind of wedge out. It's okay. But then pick yourself up and let's get back in the fray. You know, we are get back in the fray um, because that's what life is about. Also, you know, there are so many ways in which we can, we can actually take care of ourselves, you know, uh, you know, which sometimes we don't have to numb. We can do it in more nurturing ways, like going for a walk in nature, talking to a friend, dancing mm-hmm. to music, Absolutely. but really like, be unapologetic about taking care of yourself. I loved, Teresa, what you shared also about, listen, I block my, in my calendar. This is the time I go see the therapist and I'm open about it, right? That can be the same as, hey, this is the time I go for a run. It's okay. Right. It's yeah. absolutely okay. You know, we have to protect and we have to, as you say, we have to protect the asset. We have to take care of us. And that is just not something that... When it comes to the human side, we just take for granted. We never do it with our cars. We never do it with our machines. Yeah. Uh, we don't do it with our workstations. But somehow we feel as humans, we have this unlimitless level of energy. And if we stop for a moment, there is some, you know, where people are going to reject us. Don't take the time. Yeah. And I think it's like, yeah, it's driven from that insecurity and that anxiety that I think so many people feel. Um I mean, let's face it, I don't think there's very many people that got everything that they needed growing up. They may not have had what they what some would consider trauma, but there's been experiences in everybody's life, I feel, that have been less than ideal. And it may not have happened in their childhood, it might have happened in their 20s or their 30s, might have had a toxic work environment, what have you. And and those issues are still trauma and they're they impact us. And that's okay because it happens to everyone. (laughs) And so I think that that's something that we have to normalize is that we have to normalize trauma because 
everyone is impacted by it. It's not just something that people from wars go through. And and that was something that was really hard for me to get my mind around was that I had complex trauma because I thought that, and PTSD. And I thought that that was just something that only war veterans get, or I didn't really understand the whole adverse childhood experiences. And, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't sexually molested. I wasn't beaten. And so for me, that was very difficult for me to understand that abandonment and, and attachment um, are real, real critical things. And if you don't, that stuff doesn't get right in your childhood. It doesn't matter what comes next. I mean, people that have had amazing childhoods then do go and experience combat sometimes. And because of their resilience from childhood, they're able to deal with that stuff better than, than the person who didn't get that same kind of upbringing. So that has also really opened my eyes is just understanding some of these things. And then it makes it easier to, to take that time for yourself because you understand that that's truly what you need, or you're just going to continue to repeat those behaviors in that cycle. You know, uh, Teresa, I would uh, put to you and to our listeners, we actually had Amy Fox uh, on our um, podcast just very recently. And I invite people to listen to that podcast because we actually covered this topic on trauma. And I mean, her work is so amazing. She works with an unbelievable teacher, Thomas Hubel, who wrote a book called Healing Collective Traumas. And he defines, you know, traumas beautifully, you know, and, and as you said, you know, oftentimes people think about trauma as just as, you know, I got molested or I got jumped or I had mm-hmm. combat. Oh, yes. You know, we all through our childhood pick up traumas. In fact, chi- we also pick up generational trauma. Yes. Right. That kind of goes through. So nothing need have happened to you. But if your ancestors and your ancestors' ancestors suffered trauma, it goes through us. So a big part of the work that we all need to do is to explore our past, to explore the lenses through which we see the world because we see them uniquely, to recognize it, become aware of it, and then from that place, choose to reframe, rewrite, Mm. integrate, and use that past to become stronger and more in service of others. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's, I highly encourage folks to go back and listen to that podcast and see the amazing work. In fact, one of the things that she and I love, she was one of my biggest teachers and, uh, you know, she highlights and we love is in the business workplace, there is, she used this word that really stuck with me um, in our last meeting where she said, there is so much trauma sitting underneath the corporate table. You know, we walk around as adults, but really we are actually operating oftentimes when we face conflict from the place of our two-year-old or a six-year-old or a 12-year-old, because that's where we go. Um, And if we want to be effective leaders, if we want to truly make peace with this deeper anxiety that lies within us, we actually have to do that by actually looking at our past, really examining it, becoming curious about it, and finding the growth in it. So true. So true. Everything you said is just like, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) I mean, it is so, so incredibly true. I think that reframing your past is, is really important because it helps you make sense of what happened and why you became the person that you did today. And it allowed me, I think, to let go of a lot of that resentment and anger that I, that I've carried. Because again, when you, when you disengage from the game 
and you start to learn that it's your reaction to others' behavior that's the issue, not their behavior. There are certain people that are just not going to change. No matter what you say, no matter what you do, they are who they are. And you have to make your peace with that. Even if you wanted them to be something else, they may never be what you want. And so then it becomes on you to say, how am I going to change the char- the way that characterize the way I interact with this person? And if, if you want to keep them in your life or if they're a coworker and you have no choice but to keep them in your life. Um, so, so I think that, that that becomes incumbent upon you uh, to learn a new way of understanding that relationship and, and rising above uh, the petty interaction that you're currently in. Like I say, the dance that you're in or the game as me and my therapist were saying yesterday. And once you've learned how to do that, it's so empowering. It's so empowering. I totally agree with you both. I think this is where, uh, you know, again, we, as we climb the first mountain, I think now it's like, we look ahead and like, what's the next journey. I think mm-hmm. it's just an open invitation to our listeners to say, Hey, give yourself the space, open up your awareness, see what's needed in your life. Because as you said earlier, uh, Teresa, you want to live a long life. You've got one body, one mind, one soul. How do you nurture it? How do you keep it healthy? How do you form those habits, those practices that actually will take you further, faster, longer in the days to come? Anil, can I uh, can I just uh, say something as we before we kind of wrap up with the rapid fire questions with Teresa? You know, what you just said, Teresa, in that moment, and reflecting on your constant dance that we get into with different partners when you know we kind of have the same dance, right? Dif- different theaters, same dance. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to add, because it, you know, came up, is this notion of, you know, the move from, by the way, there's also so many people who roam around with, I'm a victim. Most people think they're a victim. They're never the, oh, yeah. they're never the cause of the problem. Never. Right? It's always the other person. Uh, and I'm just having to deal with it. What came up for me in what you said is this notion of responsibility, right? Which mm, is, yes, take responsibility. And you might say, wait, wait, what do you mean take responsibility? What I mean is, you always have the ability to respond in the way you want. Yes. Nobody can force you to respond one way or another, even if that's been the repeated pattern. And just maybe, just maybe, if the next time you respond differently versus how you have always responded, and you do the same the second time and the third time, mm. maybe while you have a zero shot at changing the other person by telling them what to do, but by maybe dancing differently, they start to dance differently too. So the change begins with you. And through that, you change the other and together you change the world. So this notion of responsibility just came with me, came to me as I heard and heard and kind of played back your conversation about getting out of the same dance. First, recognizing that you are actually creating the same dance. It is you, it's not the other. Right. And, and, and making a choice to, uh, to start the change, start yeah. the change from you. That's how you lose that victim mentality is, is by realizing that you have a choice and your choice is to dance differently. And when you understand that you can dance differently, like you say, um, as she's, you might not be able to change everyone, but you will change some people with the way that you're differently dancing. 
and by changing those people and, and showing that there is a different way to interact, you might change the world. You will little by little bring about another type of interaction and another way of, of interacting with one another. And people like the Andrew Tates of the world, they're just going to, to, to be so <laughs> insignificant. Like I can't get over how popular that guy is with young men. And it's, it's sad. It's a reflection of our society and how broken and how lost young men are to see somebody like him gain so much prominence. And, and that's a, it's a reflection of that. It's a reflection of the, the troubles that we're having with mental health, the troubles we're having with, with masculinity. And so unfortunately, people like him are, are rising in prominence. And so until we get our arms around some of these issues and, and really talk openly and deeply about the things that are plaguing our society, we're, we're, we're not going to be able to have the growth that I, I think we're all capable of doing. Yeah. Thank I think you. That's why we're, we're grateful. We're on this mission together with you, right? To help people be comfortable to open up, to ask for help, to identify their state and to, to do the work, to take the responsibility and to really own it. Teresa, we've got a few rapid fire questions that we'd love to ask you as we bring our conversation to a close. So these are, these are fun. Okay. So here we go. First question is the last book that you read or the book that you're reading right now? The last book that I read was Surf When You Can by Brett Crozier. He's a Navy Captain Crozier. He was the one who was let go of the USS Theodore Roosevelt, but now his story is public and it's inspirational and uh, had him on my show. And it was just an amazing, amazing experience. Awesome. The teacher or thinker, and this could be someone that's spiritual, psychological, philosophical, who has influenced you the most? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, well, what, what motivated me to start podcasting is uh, sort of a conglomerate of, of different podcasters, all men, basically Jocko, Jordan Peterson, and Joe Rogan, and all for different reasons. Uh, you know, Joe Rogan just makes me laugh. He's entertaining. Um, he's not afraid to take on controversial issues. Jordan Peterson, because he can think very deeply, he emphasizes personal responsibility, and he's just a wonderful orator, orator in the way that he delivers his messages. And then um, with Jocko, he just has that 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 toughness, that that resilience, and you know, I admire what he's done in business. I admire the way he has uh, made the Navy SEALs uh, so prominent in some of the things that he talks about. So, so they were my, my podcast mentors, I want to say, like, as I was deciding to start my show, I, I saw those three and I said, you know, I don't see a woman out there, uh, with some of the same values that, that they espouse and love that. Love it. Yeah. Agree. All right. The last show that you binged. Ozarks. We're still binging. Ozarks it. <laughs> it's oh awesome. God. In fact, like I was at a like a dinner the other night and uh with a bunch of like academic think tank people for the Sea Power conference. And I was yeah. like, now I understand what it must be like to be in the Russian mob. Like <laughs> that's your working environment every day. Like, oh, I might get killed if I do this wrong. I mean, it's just it's a fascinating show on so many levels, psychologically, uh, just in terms of the drug cartel issues. I, it's probably not uh, sticking to the facts maybe, but it's, I do love it. And I love the, hmm, that's the thing. Whenever they say something that they don't want to say what they're really thinking, they go, hmm, 
hmm. And I've adopted that sometimes <laughs> when I'm just like, I don't know what to say. And I'm like, hmm, hmm. <laughs> so love it. that almost. I love it when they have the images at the start of the show and you're like trying to oh, yeah. line it and to we, the we rest of the show And we always say it's called them out, me and my husband. And we're like, oh, when are we going to see it? When are we going to see that frying pan? When are we going to see the? Yes, yes. All right. And then what is your go-to practice for renewal to be at your best? Oh, gosh. Um, I would say my go-to practice is, is, is exercising. I mean, to be honest with you, I, it is, it is the thing that I know when I'm like in a bad headspace, I'm like, oh, I think I need to run, or I think I need to get my YouTube lady out totally for free on YouTube. Um, well, healthy fit with Ty. <laughs> and I just like her cause she seems kind of real. Like she seems like somebody I would be friends with and, uh, you know, her workouts are free and I just, I, I stick it on my phone. I put my headphones on and I just do whatever she's doing. And Love I don't it. have to think. <laughs> awesome. All right. And the last one, what's one tip to your younger self based on your life experience to date? I, I would say r- relax and, and you've got this. You, you you've got it like you've got life it's it's beautiful it's 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 worthy of living well and 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 being happy and and so so be happy teresa thank you it was such a joy to speak with you uh and and benefit from your wisdom thank you for all the amazing work that you're doing really really grateful well, I definitely want to have you on my show. I've I've slowed down so much because um, I'm constantly traveling. Um, that's my, my <laughs> husband's like the travel planner over there, and he's, he's like next week we're going on a med cruise and every either a work trip or a or a personal trip. So, however, I definitely want to have you on my show. So let's keep in touch. And um, yeah, I know that this show and the things that I'm doing is, is leading to something and I'm, I'm not sure what, uh, I'll just keep on keeping on until, uh, until that comes to me and, uh, you know, hopefully continue to inspire and, and, and stay in the military as long as they give me jobs that, that I know I can be happy with and make a difference doing. We're truly grateful for you. Thank you, Teresa. Awesome. Wish you best and lots of love and big hugs. Take care. All right. Thanks guys. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Happiness Squad podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on your chosen platform that you listen to us on. If this episode made you think of someone, take a screenshot and share this podcast episode with them. Go to www.happinesssquad.com where you can catch the show notes for this episode and learn more about us and the community we are building. The community is where we gather weekly to practice and connect with other learners, teachers, and practitioners working together to unlock our best selves. Lastly, follow along on Instagram at My Happiness Squad for tons of behind the scenes as well as short videos designed just for you. It's where we hang out in between episodes. Once again, www.happinesssquad.com. All links can be found in the description below. Until next time.